Thank you for tuning into the VF1 show with VF and Vincenzo, the podcast that discusses all things business, marketing, politics, and government within the world of Formula One. If that's your thing, then you found the right place. So without further ado, it's lights out and away we go. Welcome back to the VF1 show. I am Vincenzo Landino, half of the VF1 podcast. Today, we have a great great lineup for you. We are going to ask the question, is the F1 championship really a world title? And I'm making the little quotation marks. You can't see it, but I'm saying it. World title. Uh, ESPN's ramping up its US coverage. And we want to know, has F1 reached its peak? Hmm. Quick reminder, subscribe and review our podcast on your favorite podcast player. Please, that helps us get discovered. And we really, really appreciate it. I'm joined every week by the sharp, the ever-luminous VF Castro. She's on the other line right this second. How are you today, V? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited about the season. I feel like, I don't know. I'm just feeling good. How about yourself? I'm even better because we're recording a day later than normal, and they released the new intro to the season already the you know the cool graphic or um video graphic that shows before every race and it's hot i like it i like it it got me really pumped to record for this podcast not gonna lie you know what's funny is i listened to it i well i watched it and i didn't have the volume on but i could hear the song playing (laughs) (laughs) and i think one of my favorite parts that was george russell i immediately thought of michael jackson uh, the way he's totally the walls. I, I don't know. It's hysterical. Why? <laughs> somebody, somebody made a video, like took it and remade it into the YMCA and made his arms do the YMCA. It was hysterical. I gotta find it. Absolutely hysterical. Um, the content people move <laughs> quick. <laughs> that was just- God, they're so good. Oh. They're so good. I mean, we'll talk. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned the content people, content creators. We're going to talk a little bit about content creators later. Oh, yeah. So get ready for it. Get ready for it. Did you get a chance to... Speaking of content, it's been a whole week. Did you get a chance to see Drive to Survive season five? Okay. So I am making myself watch it this season. I think I'm in the fourth and a half episode in now, but I can't... Okay. Again. Because I, I know what happened already. It, it's it's interesting to see the drama behind the scenes, but we already knew what happened with the drama behind the scenes. But I guess it's great if you haven't watched Drive to Survive or if you're kind of looking for that, that content that d- just didn't make it to the social media of the teams or anyone else. But I, again, for me, it's it, it's not that I don't like Drive to Survive. It's that I know what happened already. <laughs> so I just... Yeah, I, but I am forcing myself to watch it because I do think for, you know, contextually, again, as a content creator, that kind of stuff is really important to what you do. So, and again, I have nothing against uh, box to box films. So I just feel like I should be supporting everything having to do with F1 right now. Watch yeah, I, um, I, I'll add my quick thought on it. It was uh, a very different, in my opinion, a very different direction. There was zero... Sorry, I'm going to spoil it for you, but zero uh, Williams and Haas, uh, not Haas, Williams and Alfa Romeo, maybe not zero, but very little of them. And I think it's ironic because both of those teams 
announced this past week. Uh, actually, Williams announced before Drive to Survive came out. Alfa Romeo announced just this past week that they're going to be putting out their own uh, content series uh, about the stories that are untold. And one can only deduce that those stories are not being told on Drive to Survive or also Sky and Formula One's official channels. So look out for those. But that was really interesting to me to see cutting out really narratives altogether. So there was a lot of different things that did happen throughout the season that we didn't get in Drive to Survive at all. And um, it's feeling more and more like that's going to be the direction. They're really just going to focus on the stuff that gets pop, you know, goes pops off on social media or the things that they know will create drama. And that's it. So that's my my quick take on Drive to Survive. Um, it's interesting you yeah. mentioned about Haas because it's very Gunther Steiner heavy. But then again, Gunther Steiner makes for incredible TV. Yeah. I- Gunther's great. Gunther's great. And and. To add to that, the fact that you just mentioned Gunther, if you notice, like the F1 Vegas social media accounts have been crushing Gunther Steiner content lately. I mean, just eating it up. He showed up to practice, uh, one of the practice sessions last week, in his Vegas sequin jacket that we then found out was used in Vegas promo videos that came out this past week. And Gunther is like, I mean, that alone has got to make him almost untouchable right now mm-hmm. as a team principal because he's so damn marketable. Yeah. I think so much of it too is the stuff that comes out of his mouth when he said something like, for two points last year, I would have, he said, apparently I would have hugged the whole paddock. Of course, it. we heard it as I would have effed the whole paddock. I, I do think he actually said hugged. Like I listened to that over and over. And I think it's because of the accent English is obviously not his first language, and the way he kind of blends would have hugged, like it all just kind of blended together. I really, I, I want to believe that, but kudos, kudos to him for just like letting it play out and not even caring, right? Like, yeah, whatever, go for it. At the end, he was like, he was like what did I say? <laughs> what did I say? Something wrong? Hug, hug. I just, yeah. he's such a character, and like you said, I think he's also untouchable right now as far as principles go i think he's he's done a really good job with what he's been given and i think they continue to make progress and just again from marketability perspective i think haas couldn't have a better person at the helm just because he gets so much airtime because everyone is so curious at what's he going to say now because he doesn't give a shit and that's one no. thing that makes him so exciting to watch is like, he just doesn't care. He's completely authentic. He's not trying to play into any political dramas with an F1. He's not trying to be the story, but yet he becomes the story because he's so funny and he's so likable, which is not a bad thing at all. You never want to become the villain. I feel like that you carry that with you. Look at Toto and Christian and it makes them appear very unlikable. And I'm sure that they're very nice people off camera when nobody's around, but it's how they're, it's how you're conveyed that, that even a five second clip can make someone be like, I don't like that person. But with Gunther, it's, I feel like it's the complete opposite. Uh, you mentioned a few things there that are easily making this uh, a, a transition point for me because <laughs> you mentioned politics and you mentioned Haas and there was something brought out in the first I think it was right in the first episode. I actually look at that. I can't even remember now what uh, episode it was. I, it was the first episode where 
they uh, talked a little bit about the Urukali drama, Nikita Mazepin uh, losing his seat because of the the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine. And this brings up the question that we want to talk about on the show. Is F1 truly a world title if if a specific or any flag is invalidated from participating? So the Russian flag was invalidated from participating. Uh, so uh, all, the FIA actually banned Russian drivers. And so in all series russian drivers had uh had issues could not compete or they had to try and find a different flag to compete under so my question to you is is it truly a world title if there's you're not allowing everyone to participate what do you think about that yeah so former f1 driver uh vitaly petrov he said that let me find the quote without russia i don't consider a single champion or olympic title to be valid he told the Russian newspaper Sport Express, we have to stop being afraid of our people and bring Russia back into world sport. For me, it's not acceptable. I don't understand at all this absurdity of imposing certain opinions on people. So I think what everyone has to understand is that F1 is one of the most globally recognized sports in the world for a reason. In the 2022 season, as of the 2022 season, there were 1,079 world championship events that were held over 72 seasons in 34 countries under 53 race titles and 76 circuits. If that doesn't scream world champion, if you win that, I don't know what does. Because you talk about the NFL, we've talked about the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, although the NHL and the NBA play in Canada for competitive purposes as they have teams there. But in the NFL, they call themselves world champions if they've won a title because there are athletes from all over the world competing in the NFL. Same with the NBA same with the, more so the NHL, I think, but also pretty much every other major sport, you have athletes from around the world competing in there. And so in their minds, that is a world championship. If you are the best at American football and say you live in New Zealand, you're going to do everything you can to try and get a scholarship to go to an American college, to have that sort of D league developmental league, if you will experience to get into an NFL team in the future. And so to say that not having Russian, the Russian flag, and that being something that disqualifies the, the world championship title is absurd because that would essentially mean that you would have to have a driver from every single country competing in F1 at the same time. And that just is, could you imagine <laughs> what kind of a race that would be? So <laughs> leave the World Cup to the World Cup leave those types mm -hmm. of world, you know, global competitive sort of, uh, um, sports to their own criteria, how they choose to do things. F1 is a completely different ball game just because you're a good driver. It doesn't matter what country you're from. You, if you're a good driver, you're going to have a chance to compete, but it doesn't mean that everyone's going to have a spot on the grid. And that's just that. I think that's what makes it even more competitive 
Yeah, and the competition is really all that matters. End of the day, yeah. right? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how much I have thought about this particular question, or I'm always I'm always wary about anything being a world title if it's not really you know a world title, right? Or if it's like the everyone's not involved. This particular case feels extremely sensitive and extremely uh i think it's top of mind right now right we are we're it we're in the middle of it the 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 situation there is still happening so and it's and it seems to be constantly escalating it's been a year and it's just consistently escalating yeah i i believe that and I think we talked. You and I talked about a little bit about little bit about this yesterday, and and my thoughts haven't changed on, on it. If the a person, a, an individual, in this case Mazepin, as a driver of Russian descent or you know Russian <laughs> birth, I mean he's driving under the flag that you know he's born. Like the, we can't take that away from someone. At the same time. His involvement is a little bit different, right, with his father and, and all that. But for anybody else, for any other particular driver that is racing under a specific flag and the leader of that country decides to do something that the rest of the world doesn't like or, or is, not, is not right, whatever it might be, like, is it really that person's fault? Or, like, as an athlete, should that person be punished? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. The, I don't know the right answer to that. And I've gotten, I've personally gotten mixed uh, feedback from some folks. Uh, I know that there are some uh, friends of mine, Ukrainian friends, that are. I mean, didn't even want to watch Full Swing, the the show, uh, the Netflix show about tennis, because they didn't want to see any. They didn't even want to potentially see any. Russian tennis players. Well, I'm like, okay, I, I, you know, I can't understand that that feeling. I can't put myself in your shoes. I don't know how that what that's like. I can uh, accept that's how you feel and and that be fine with that. But I don't I don't know how that feels. So I really can't make an assessment on that other than say I just think, hey, you know what? If it's easy to allow you to race under a different flag or a neutral flag or no flag at all, just race because you are an athlete in this sport and you're you're good enough, right? Mazepin, I don't think, was ever good enough anyway. But let's just say someone was good enough, then yeah, let them race. I, I don't see a problem with that. Um, again, as long as they're not involved in anything, as long as they're not tied to anything. Mazepin's father was directly tied to, you know, uh, the Russian government. So that's a little bit different. But yeah, uh, I don't, I don't know. Well, it's I think, still a world title, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. I think this is where nepotism, we talked about this last week, where nepotism also comes into play. Because as we know, Mazepin's father's company, Eurocali, the fertilizer company, was a title sponsor for Haas. And so I feel like you, we talk about the level of involvement he obviously, his father was an oligarch, had ties to Putin. Again, how much did Nikita, was Nikita involved in that? Well, you know, we don't know. 
we really truly don't know, but we do know that his father essentially was was able to secure him a very uh, comfortable spot on that Haas seat just by just by sending them. I think it was close to 13 million USD, and that'll that'll do it. And so, yeah, that immediately attached him to that. I think maybe it would have been different if his father hadn't been a title sponsor for for Haas. Maybe it would have been different. Maybe they would have said, well, he's just a driver. He Maybe we, we need to rethink this. He shouldn't necessarily have to be collateral damage to this. And I don't think that Haas would have terminated the contract with him necessarily. I think they would have asked him to maybe race under a neutral flag, which is what the FIA said was a possibility. And it kind of leaves me to the last point in all of this is that, is it time for the FIA to consider a a neutral flag that drivers who are under situation circumstances like war, like, you know, any, any number of things that could go wrong in a country where they could race under that and, and, and be welcomed because you think about it, racing under a neutral flag, what does that actually mean? Does that mean that you have to somehow acquire citizenship in another country or you have to have dual citizenship? What does that exactly mean? And in a, in a case of, say, Nikita Mazepin in Russia, what country is going to allow him, maybe Iran, would allow him to race under their flag? And I think we maybe the FIA maybe needs to look at the Olympic or refugee Olympic team, which was supported by the um, IOC through a scholarship program. It includes uh, countries, athletes from countries in Syria or the Democratic Republic of Congo, South Sudan, Venezuela, Iran, Afghanistan, Cameroon. Um, and I think that perhaps it's time for the FIA to consider that. It's smart. And I think it shows a level of commitment to athletes that could find themselves in these sort of circumstances that are really above maybe their their possibility their capabilities of trying to get themselves out of out of a shit situation like what's happening in Russia because i imagine right now there's probably quite a few russian drivers that that would love to race or compete elsewhere and they just they can't and and that that really you, you got to feel for these people because this is the collateral damage that comes with war. And, you know, at the end of the day, athletes are doing everything in their power to, to, to become successful. And, and I think that if, if they can do anything to try and help athletes to level up and, and maybe help them realize their full potential, then I think that that steps need to be taken to do that. I'm totally on board with it. I think as a, just to offset or to hedge their bets, right, against anything else, especially as F1 continues to promote, uh, you know, more inclusive, more diverse, you know, drivers. I mean, hell, they just signed a 15-year agreement with the Tottenham Hotspur to build the uh, a karting track that's an actual accredited karting track under the stadium in attempts to discover hidden talent in in the UK, I'm, I'm assuming what could be from anywhere, this could be the first of many other types of agreements. Again, they're hoping to find undiscovered talent. Well, what if they, you know, what if that talent comes from one of these countries? Uh, it, it would, it would behoove them to, to do something like that. I, I, I can't, and it, it really, 
I don't know the technicalities of it, but it doesn't seem like it would be that big of a deal or like it's that challenging of a situation. Like they just pretty much have to bless it and go. I mean, unless you know of anything else that's involved with that, it seems like the IOC is able to do it. Why couldn't the FIA? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like we said, it's time. I think adaptation is the most important thing right now in keeping any sport alive. And I just, it's time. Speaking of adaptation, uh, ESPN uh, put out a press release earlier, a couple days ago, that they are, you know, ramping up their U.S. coverage. They they got the rights to uh, Formula One in the United States. They've had the rights, but they rebid and they won the new deal. Their their price increases, so their their cost increases. They were paying about $5 million per year since 2018. Their bid is somewhere in the $75 to $90 million mark, or their bid was. Uh, this is this is actually back in July of 22. And it extends it for a couple more years uh, until we look at the 2026 uh, agreement, broadcast agreement, which also is a new regulation change year as well. So they won that. They are all in on... F1. Here are some of the things that they plan on doing, and then we'll we can kind of talk about it and you know what see what you think. They are going to air the Monaco Grand Prix live on ABC, which is actually the first time ever on ABC in the United States. The uh, this is actually a fun fact. The Monaco Grand Prix holds the record for the largest audience ever to watch Formula One in the United States, uh, two point seven eight million. It was on ABC in 2002 was not live. It was actually on tape delay. They tape delayed it for the audience to watch the race at a more reasonable hour for Americans, which is interesting because now races are like people seem to be waking up and watching the races no matter what time it starts, right? Um, Here's the other things that ESPN is going to do. 18 of the 23 races are going to be on ESPN or ABC. Huge. The other five races will be on ESPN2. Not sure exactly which races those are yet. All races are going to be commercial free, which is huge for motorsport fans, especially in the US. Anyone that watches NASCAR knows you know, the pain with commercials. Um, the, there'll be the three races in the US. ESPN Plus is going to simulcast 18 of the 23 races in English and Spanish. So the Spanish audience will have a place. I believe ESPN Deportes will still be carrying all of uh, uh, Spanish language broadcasts as well. We're going to have coverage of F1 qualifying and F1 sprints. Uh, most of the sessions are going to be on ESPN or ESPN2. ESPN promises to produce more preview and review shows that will air live on social media and digital channels on race days. So that's pretty cool. ESPN is uh, going to pr- is promising more coverage on Sports Center. I grew up watching Sports Center. I grew up with the Stuart Scotts and the Kenny Maines and the epic calls that they would make of different you know for different sports. You know, Formula One was. I I don't even remember Formula One ever being on a Sports Center. It probably was. I just can't remember it. Um, there'll be the ESPN post race show airing at noon Eastern. 
uh, on s- Sunday following this week's Grand, Grand Prix, and I believe that's the first, just the first edition. They plan on doing that every uh, every race, and then their coverage is including their digital coverage is including on-site reporters for every race, uh, as well as a video podcast program. It's called Unlapped with uh, Nate Saunders, uh, Lawrence Edmondson, and Katie George. So that's what they're promising. I'm going to stop talking. What do you think? Yeah, I I think this is an excellent move. And I think that what people, ha- perhaps this is this is more of a, of a comment for our international audience. One thing that makes this such a positive step in the right direction is that on SportsCenter, there is this thing called the hashtag SC Top 10, where every night they highlight the best plays in sports that day. And I don't even know how long this has been going on for, but it is really exciting to watch, especially if you're kind of more of a, maybe a passive sports fan or you work a lot or you have kids to take care of throughout the day and you just don't get a chance to watch TV like, you know, like a lot of other sports enthusiasts get to who have free time. And it's fun to watch these plays go down because they do a great job explaining what happened. And then you see the play and you're like, okay, I get it. And sometimes these aren't even like fully sports related. Sometimes they're just things that maybe happened outside of sports, but in any event, it gives F1 a serious opportunity to have to be exposed to maybe this fan base that could be. Maybe if they see a couple of clips from races that maybe they wouldn't, some incredible overtake. We saw some incredible drives last year that would have, should have made it to SE top 10. And now this gives racing fans a real opportunity to be exposed to F1 in a completely different way. Because I think the more people start to coalesce around F1, especially in the US, the more those hashtags are going to start to blow up. And the more people, like I said, the more passive sports fan watchers are going to uh, be exposed to that. So it's it's an excellent opportunity for Formula One to really make it into these households that perhaps wouldn't necessarily be watching Formula One. Because I think in, in America, people have to understand that America is typically associated with NASCAR. And as a child growing up with NASCAR... I didn't really watch NASCAR. I didn't really like it. I thought that the oval, it just wasn't my thing. And I think that's why I love F1 so much is that it looks like somebody just threw spaghetti down on, on a plate with a couple noodles and said, make a track out of that. Okay, done. (laughs) And it's so interesting watching these tracks come together because there's, there's a lot that goes into creating these tracks, but they look like, they look like, you know, nonsensical drawings, really. So I think if you're not a NASCAR fan, because you maybe didn't like the ovals, you're going to love Formula One. And again, like I said, with, with this sports center coverage, this puts those people in, in a great opportunity to be able to see F1 in a different way or racing in a different way in general. Yeah, I like that you brought up the uh, top 10. I mean, 
no one counts the top 10 as like, oh my God, it's, I made the top 10. I'm going to put it on my list of accolades. But you will hear athletes, specifically American athletes that compete in American sports, that they, they will sometimes talk about like, oh, I made the sports center top 10. Or you'll hear, you know, after a, an amazing play, you'll see, you know, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see like in an interview, you'll be like, oh, you think that's going to make sports center top 10. So it still does carry a little bit of weight. It's, it's, it's a very, um, social media friendly movement. If you, I don't want to call it a movement, but a social media friendly way to activate, right? Oh, SC top 10. I mean, it's so easy to blast all over social media. Uh, and I think that's very, very important. And what you bring up with with you know Sports Center and the, the top ten is also uh, a crucial point to understand because the younger generations, um, I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it's it, it's something like seventy five or eighty percent are watching highlights only. They're not watching full sports um, games or matches which is wild, wild to me, right? As someone who grew up, I watched the game. You sit down at the time the game is on or the match or the race and you watch the race and that's it. Like you're not, I'm not gunning for the highlights. Like I'm not, I'm not waiting for highlights to learn what my team did. And so understanding that phenomenon, I, I, I would call it a phenomenon, I think, broadcasters like ESPN and ESPN is is good at this they understand the value of social media what these shorter clips will do and that'll be a part of the whole content uh, flywheel and we'll see not just what you're going to see on the broadcast you're going to see it followed up online it's going to hit you again on YouTube a couple days later. It's going to hit you on TikTok a couple, and you're going to have this whole ecosystem of Formula One content, you know, every day. This is this is what the growth trajectory is going to do for for you know Formula One content. It's going to you're going to take the race, and you're going to now have so many different little pieces of content broken out from that. We didn't necessarily have that before, right? Other sports have had that, whether you watch football, American football, basketball, even baseball and hockey. Those sports, there's clips and highlights and memes that live on from those sports all week long after a game or, or every day after a game is played. You, I mean, even instantly, forget about the day after. Instant, we're talking instant. We're talking something happens, there's a reaction video out there within seconds. I mean, the internet is undefeated. And that's that keeps people, like that keeps a sport in someone's mind, right? It's, it's easy, it's not easy to forget about the NFL when you're constantly being blasted with amazing catches and wild, you know, runs and incredible throws and they just live on social media. Formula One, you don't necessarily have that. Until I think now, I, I think ESPN is is perfect for this, and uh, at least they're perfect for it now. And and maybe something will evolve, and somebody else will uh, emerge in twenty six to to make it better. But I think that is what Formula One saw 
when they when they picked ESPN to continue the the broadcast rights in the US, they saw more than just the actual broadcast. I don't know if anyone else was able to promise as much content and as much um, focus on smaller clips than ESPN will. And and I, and I hope I hope I'm right about this. Like I hope ESPN does go all in on the, sh- the shorter stuff because that's going to be really important for growth in America. Well, as we've seen, the growth of Formula One itself, I think, has been largely propelled by social media, and. I think this all started really when drivers were allowed to have more of a, a personal presence. They were allowed to use their social media for their own marketing purposes and really build up. And that's why I think it's so hard to, to actually, you know, put a, a quantifiable number in, in terms of, of F1's actual value, because Every single one of these drivers, even Daniel Ricardo, he's not even on the grid this year. And even him, you look at his social media and everything that he's been able to do with that. He is worth so much more money than his net worth just because of the value that he gives to Formula One. And I think that's a big reason why uh, he ended up signing with Red Bull as that third driver. And they understood the value that they got from him. And so all of these companies, these media companies, they understand that and they want a piece of that because they understand how revenue works. And if they associate themselves with this sport that it, it, it doesn't seem to be stopping anytime soon, then if you can figure out a way to align yourself and get a media rights deal and get yourself involved, you have to run with that. You cannot pump the brakes because I think Liberty Media, they are looking to have more growth, more substantial growth over the next couple of years, especially. And I think that is going to be in large part because I think COVID saw, COVID was a very, I think, unique time in Formula One because you had a lot of people sitting on their couches. They didn't really have a lot to do. And they started watching TV, just tons and tons and tons of TV. And you could say that, yeah, it brought in a tremendous amount of fans. And a lot of those fans have have stayed or have stuck around. But as people were able to get out of their houses, people were less inclined to watch TV. So it's keeping those fans active within Formula One. And you keep those fans active by making them feel important. And so for any media company that gets involved, that is really important. You have to be able to show your fans that, we appreciate you being here. We appreciate you consuming our content. We appreciate you watching our coverage and we're not going to be passive about this. And so I think from a social media perspective, we've talked about this, uh, in terms of our own show that I need to start responding to people on Twitter. I can't be passive about that if I want to help this, this show grow. And I think the same applies for ESPN. They have to be engaging with fans. They have to be engaging on a daily basis. They have to be putting out that content and it has to be rapid because we see how quickly content creators are able to create and it happens within lightning speed after an event actually happens. And I, I find this to be more the case with F1 than really any other sport. F1, I was watching something and you'll find this interesting. Um, F1, I, I, I don't want to butcher it. 
the the commentator said that F1 can't put out clips and content uh, right away because, and this might be a motorsport problem, not just F1, but I'm going to say F1. Because a driver passing a driver is just a pass. There's nothing necessarily incredible about it without context. And so the example this commentator used was uh, Glock, Timo Glock, and the 2008, you know, uh, dramatic final lap. Here comes Glock, like out of context and not fully understanding everything that happened in that moment. It doesn't, it's, it's not exciting, but a slam dunk from the foul line or, you know, an incredible one-handed grab completely out of context, but just showing up on your timeline for, for many people is way more exciting. I didn't know how I felt about it. I actually had to watch the video a couple times just to see, like, understand the point that they were making. And I was like, that's actually really solid. Unless you're a real diehard fan, you really can't appreciate a pat, like a, let's say a pass, right? A car passing another car. Um, what is exciting? Okay. Uh, crashes are, I mean, <laughs> that's insensitive to be like, oh, a crash is exciting, regardless of how safe it's become. NASCAR's kind of gotten, I mean, that's almost their entire brand has the crashes. Like, oh, look how like, crazy and exciting this is. Like, that's part of, and I don't know if that's necessarily the case still, but I know a lot of people are like, oh, man, NASCAR. Like, everyone that told me when I was going to my first race, like, there's going to be crashes. It's going to be crazy. It's wild. Like, the crash is the best part. Um, Yeah, what do you, so what, what do you think about that? Like, how does that work for Formula One or any motorsport, but you know, we're talking about Formula One here. How do they make that kind of stuff exciting for a regular viewer just scrolling on their feed? I think I get what you're saying, but I do see it as drivers understand they are under a serious microscope right now. They know how easily replaceable they are. And that's why these contracts for the most part are like what, two years? A lot can change in two years. And I think it is going to require much more competitive driving mm. guys to stay in F1. It's going to require a lot more ballsiness. I mean, we talk about, uh, you, you mentioned yesterday when we were talking that Sebastian Vettel, that you felt like he was, he was vicious when he was in his prime and, and he kind of lost that. And he was, he was less exciting to watch because you just, you knew you weren't going to get those, those situations where he was pushing that other driver. Like he was bullying that other driver to do what he wanted them to do. Very Max Verstappen-esque. And all the best drivers have that quality. And I think that there's a lot of reason why people don't like Fernando Alonso because he still does that. And he doesn't care who you are. You're his teammate. You're his best friend. He doesn't give a shit. He's going to bully you on track. And I think that is what F1 needs. And I hate to say it, but I think that could potentially cause more collisions. We do see a lot of brush-ups between drivers now. And they're saying, he pushed me off track. He didn't give me enough space. And that's very common in races that we hear. But unfortunately, I think teams are willing to sacrifice 
a couple hundred thousand dollars of damage to a car if it means their driver is pushing that car to its limit, if they feel like that driver is really taking a risk. And I think by taking risks mentally, you get stronger as a driver. By not taking risks, by playing it safe, you're going to have a very short career. And by not taking risks and playing it safe, and you find yourself, you encounter uh, a situation with an aggressive driver, chances are you're going to end up in a wall because you're going to panic. So what this does is that mental conditioning, and I think this is twofold in that it's going to force drivers to become more competitive, which is going to make for better racing. It's going to make for more interesting races. And that is what's going to increase or improve the product. And that's, those are the plays that you're going to potentially be seeing on sports center on the news that are going to get people into the sport. And that's really what I think needs to happen right now. And it's been happening. Let's take that as the opportunity to, first of all, thank our listeners and to ask you once again, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please head on over to your favorite podcast player, subscribe, like us, rate us, review us. We want to hear from you. We appreciate you. Moving into the final segment of the show, I think it was you left off at a perfect spot there. So, <laughs> this is something you heard, actually. So I want, I, I want to ask you to start. You heard a content creator put this out there. Has F1 peaked? Has F one reached its peak? Which which is is wild to even ask you after the conversation we just had because I know you and I I know what we believe, but I'm going to ask you that because you heard the content creator say it, so I'll let you lead it off. Yeah has has it peaked? No, it hasn't peaked. It hasn't even begun to peak, and I think this was a comment made that. I think was more closely associated with their personal opinion on where the sport should be in that this content creator feels that formula one isn't doing enough to align itself with the sort of eco-friendly movement that is being pushed in terms of electric vehicles, et cetera, basically implying that F1 should be, moving towards all electric, which mm. we already have an electric yeah. series. So why Correct. would F1, when you still have people, ourselves included, who long for the days of the V10, even Lewis Hamilton, vegan activist, even he misses the V10. <laughs> I think if Formula One announced, hey guys, we're going all electric, there would be riots. And I think Lewis Hamilton would be would be on our side of that. <laughs> of that. And so I just, I don't understand why, look, you can be an activist. You can be an activist all you want to, but not at the expense of saying that something is, is reached its peak or is in decline because it doesn't align with what you want. I think we look at teams like Haas, which they halved their, their pit wall to save costs. Of course, that, that has a really positive impact on the, um, on the environment. Those are things that teams can and should be doing to sort of move the needle on the, on that environmental impact. And that's great. But you can't fundamentally, you can't say the sport has to fundamentally change to align with your personal beliefs about, say, climate change, when you already have a league or a series that is doing just that. 
if that's what you want, then gravitate towards that series and, and mm-hmm. leave Formula One alone. I think F1 is doing just fine. Yeah, I it. I don't I don't even know where to go necessarily with this because I <laughs> when you said this to me, I thought you were joking. I was like, no, you're kidding. Really? People people think this? Now, I understand and I can appreciate the the need to want to go electric or um, not in Formula One in general. Uh, the electrification in general, I, I can understand to an extent. I, I'm not necessarily on board with it fully, but I, I understand where people come from. When you talk about motor sport, motor sport, mm-hmm. Motor sport. I don't. I, I want to hear engines. I don't want to hear whiny. You know, sounds like you modeled it after a, a beehive or something, right? Like, I, but that's fine, right? I, I, I'm okay with with the these turbo V6. I mean, I'm not okay with it. I'm I'm fine with it because that's the evolution of the sport. Whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm a I'm a passionate V10. Even the V8s were great. Um, hell, bring back the the twelves. I don't know. They figure something else out, but don't give me, you know, don't give me things that sound like I don't know. Remember, remember, when we were kids. You used to take like an edge of a piece of paper out of your notebook and you used to blow on it. It would make like that like B noise. Do you ever do you, did you ever do that as a kid? Yeah. Okay, that's kind of what it sounds. That's kind of what like F one cars currently sound like. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know. I don't want that. And and it. This is actually kind of funny too. Maybe it's funny just to me. But if you watch a lot of promo videos that are put out, there was actually a promo video, fantastic promo video put out by Ford when they announced their, you know, coming back to Formula One. And they showed the current car fly by, you know, Red Bull because they partnered with Red Bull and this and that. But it was the V, it was a V8 that they, the sound that they used it was one of the v8s or v10 sound that they actually used they overdubbed it because people want to hear those cars so if you imagine not hearing anything now formula e i understand like but but you know what you're getting into when you hey formula e it's an electric series this is what you're getting into no problem and i like formula e i think it i think it's actually it's good racing and they've got some interesting things going on there What's the point of Formula One doing it? Yeah. Formula One, you're supposed to be advancing technology and advancing or, or uh, evolution, sorry, you're supposed to be, you know, of the, the incur- internal combustion engine. That's what I, that's how I believe it, right? Um, yeah. I, don't, I, I think there's too many people out there you know, in their own virtue signaling, hey, follow me or let me be divisive. Because look at this, like now we're talking about it, right? We're actually giving credence to somebody that decided to put what I would say is a stupid comment out there. And I'm happy if I ever find out who it is, I'd be more than happy to tell them that that's an absolutely stupid (laughs) comment to make. But if here's the thing, if young people I'm I'm assuming this is what it is, right? Young people and women, oh, they don't, they're not watch, watching as much or whatever. First of all, 
the average age since 2017 of viewers of F1 has dropped by four years. So younger people are watching Formula One. And the women that are watching, there was a motorsport, uh, motorsport Nielsen, I believe it was, F1. They put out this massive survey. Just, uh, was it 21? Yeah, in 21. And it was like double the amount of women in previous years were watching. And, and it's, I think it's only increased, right? Most of the content creators I see out there are, are women. They're talking about a sport they don't care about. Now you want to make these things electric and that people really aren't going to care about. There's, they're not going to be as exciting. Like At least there's something, right? The sound gives you... There's a level of excitement there. Um, yeah, I, you know, to say to say F one is archaic is just kind of undermining everything that is is going on. And and for someone to be a content creator in F one or or aspiring to be, and then at the same time saying, oh, this should move to electric, is I don't know. It just seems like you're biting the hand that feeds you is not the right metaphor to use. It's almost like you're just. Uh, I don't know. Like, why? Then why bother? Why bother talking about F one if you don't even want it to be what it is? Well, this person said <laughs> that uh, F one was something like going to be more closely resembling vintage cars, and I'm just like, oh my god! Admit that you hate motorsports without admitting you hate motorsports. It's kind of like, can you imagine? Okay, everyone, sit back. And think of the F1 theme song, okay? You got it playing in your head right now? Okay. Mm -hmm. What is the very first sound that that it, 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 that starts with that theme song? You're talking about the theme song, right? The theme song. It's the, it's the engine. That, that one? That one. <laughs> that one. Yeah, it's... A, it, it's it's engines. Can you or it's at least the sound of one, yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine if that sound was electric? It, it wouldn't be. There would be no, it'd be like a I don't know, they'd it would be a whistle. Uh, yeah. It'd be like feel <laughs> whistle. It'd be, it would literally be nothing. It would be nothing. It would be a, th a thunder or something. They would have to like do thunder so that you would think of lightning or something. I don't know. It just it makes no sense. I mean, I, I think we can we can beat up this topic for hours if we want to, but I think that this just has to be said, leave F1 alone. F1 is doing amazing things on its own. F1 is, is developing the way it should be. If you want esports, stick to formula E bottom line. And I hate to be like that person's like, get off my lawn right now, but this is literally a get off my lawn just because a couple years ago before Liberty media bought, of course, longer than a couple years ago now, before Liberty Media acquired F1, we were all kind of concerned, and we've talked about this quite a few times, we were all kind of concerned, where is F1 going to go? Nobody was really, it just didn't have the the fan base that it should have had for what it was. It just, it, what they weren't really doing anything with it. And I feel like so much of it was, was that it didn't have the exposure that it needed to really have this triumphant rise in the era of social media. And now under Liberty, it is taking on a mind of its own. F1 isn't going anywhere but up. So we just need to accept that. And we don't have to invoke 
any of our personal beliefs about, you know, like I said, uh, climate change, et cetera. I think that F1 is, is trying to tackle that in the best ways that they can. I think, of course, they realize that they have to know that the schedule is very contradictory of their goals and their objectives. And I hope that they're doing something to change that at some point, whatever that might be. But we have to remember that there's probably going to be multiple iterations of plans that are implemented to attack to tackle that before a plan is actually agreed upon. And that's okay. That's okay. That's perfectly fine. As long as they're 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 creating goals, they're setting them and they're they're kind of tinkering with it, that that's something that we can live with. But in terms of changing the entire DNA of the sport, mm -mm. like I said, there would be riots and I think Lewis Hamilton would be on our side. Yeah, I mean I, I think you nailed it, right? It's it's the DNA. It comes down to what's the DNA of, of this and you know, I went to a, I was at a, uh, I was at a NASCAR race last season at Bristol, Bristol, Tennessee. And it's a bowl. You're literally in a bowl. It's an oval. It's a very, very short quarter mile oval. I don't even know if it's an oval. It's basically round. And yeah, it's round. It's, it's pretty much round. It, what got me, it was my first ever NASCAR race. What sucked me in and listen, I know this comment I'm going to make is not for the environmental purists out there. I, I know that. But I understand that motorsport is, is also a form of entertainment. Sports in general is a form of entertainment. If you don't, if you don't agree with uh, that aspect of it, the fact that it's entertainment, then, then you probably don't like sports. And, and, and that's okay. I'm going to say that right now. But what was so incredible about being – I was blessed to have access. I um, got to work with NASCAR, so I was able to get down right into – I mean, I pretty much could have changed a freaking tire if I wanted to. Um, I, the smell of gasoline and, <laughs> you know, fuel burning, burning off and hearing – those loud V8s, I mean, those are V8s in the, in the, uh, the next gen. Uh, are they V8s? They might be V6s, but they're very loud. They are incredible to hear. And you just hear like nonstop rumble. You feel it in your chest. I mean, your heart is racing and you're not even doing anything, right? You're just watching. And it's the most invigorating, eye-opening thing. I mean, your, your eyes are burning right from rubber being burnt which again is probably not a good thing and i and i understand that you know from a health perspective it's probably not great but from uh the fan perspective and loving you know that motorsport or that aspect of motorsport it's it's awesome it's awesome and by the way the the gen 6 cars that wasn't a gen 6 car the gen the next gen cars, that's what it was. The the next gen car. That's what I, I got to see. 2022, they used the next gen. Sorry, I'm 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 like now I'm like looking it up because I want to make sure that I said the right thing. And I don't know enough about NASCAR, but uh they are 5.8 liter V8 naturally aspirated. And I will tell you, they sound freaking awesome. And they that rumble in your chest when they fire up and when they come by you every time in that was totally worth it. And I know that's not a NASCAR podcast, but when I hear people talking about going electric, I'm like, 
oh my God, that is, you pull everything out of it. You That excitement, that rumble that you get in your chest, you lose that. And that's what's exciting about these high-end motorsports, the pinnacle. That's why Formula E, and nothing against Formula E because I like it, but it's not the pinnacle of motorsport, right? There's a reason why F1 is the pinnacle of motorsport. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to just drop my pen <laughs> as if it was my microphone. I'm going to drop it right there. <laughs> well, the thing, another thing that this person said was that one thing that F1 wasn't doing to attract fans was handle the cost to actually attend a race. For uh, whom? I don't explain that a little bit better. So races were not something that many people could afford. And by that, they were immediately alienating certain sections of the fan base who just, you know, we talk about, about fans getting younger and younger. Well, young people, you know, their money is spent in different ways. Sure. But we also know that young people also buy a lot of luxury goods too. So maybe that's, that's not Mm -hmm. true that they would be able to afford to go to a race. They just choose not to. I don't know what they would do there to be able to attract different fan bases who could maybe, who maybe can't afford to go to a race, but want to. But I think that is something sure. The sure F1 could say, we need to have a, an affordable tier. And I think people would pay that because let's, let's call it what it is too. Music festivals aren't getting any cheaper either. And yet young people flock to music festivals. You have no problem going mm-hmm. with the outfit planning, mm-hmm. the flights, this, that, but I think for a lot of it is that because F1 is this global circus and everybody wants to go to different races and they want to go to different countries and they look at it as a way to travel and see the world and go to these races. But then you look at what it actually costs for F1 weekends. We do know that cities, of course, they they raise their rates a little a little excessively. We know that. But that's that's business. But that's business. And there's nothing that the that F1 can do about that. So F1 could say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna decrease ticket prices and and maybe have an affordable tier where you can come uh, to a race. But then they have to deal with the logistics. And what are you going to do at that point? Scream at Hyatt, scream at Marriott and say, your F1 partners, you should be offering more affordable rates. They're not going to do that. Again, it's business. And they know that people yeah. are going to pay that. So there's only so much that Formula One can do when it comes to affordability of races. They can't, they're not God. They can't control every single aspect of, of the actual race experience. And I think that is one expectation that that people need to kind of have more realistic uh uh you know understanding of that f1 is very limited and so if f1 is leaving ticket prices alone if if these uh, organizers are leaving ticket prices alone it's because they know that look if you can afford to come here and travel here then you can afford a, a, a race ticket and if you can't afford a race ticket like you said uh, i think one or two episodes ago they have to do a better job creating activations where people who maybe they've spent all their money mm-hmm. on flights and hotels and Ubers and things like that, where they can actually go and, and experience the race, maybe get close to the drivers, see a car. I know at the Fairmont in Austin, they usually have the Red Bull car or some type of car in the lobby for people to see and and maybe have have more focus, more emphasis on those activations so that people can actually go to race cities and experience F1 in a different way. But in terms of this idea that F1 is in decline because they haven't 
figured out a way to decrease costs of races. I mean, that there's a whole lot of layers to that that you can't pa- F1 can't mm-hmm. possibly tackle. Yeah, there's. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a few thoughts on this overall. Uh, I'm trying to be somewhat sensitive, <laughs> but I have a I have a hard time. And I I say this from, you know, I will probably attend zero GPs this year on my own dime or if if I even go. Right. Because I, I, you know, for whatever reason, I'm just the prices are what they are. And I'm just I can't I'm not going to spend it. If I get the chance to go to a GP, it'll be because I'm working with a brand or something. But I don't even know if that'll happen. So that's I just want to put that out there as the caveat. But like you said, and you made a really, really good point about something. Because it's young people that are mostly complaining about this, right? They, they have the, they're using the internet. They're the ones talking on the, on the web and whatever. It's like, okay, you're going to complain about the price of a GP. But at the same time, you'll be the first one to order a new iPhone the minute it drops. That's like $1,500, right? Without complaint of how much that is. Or like you mentioned, a music festival. You'll you'll scrounge up money for a music festival. However, I, and I don't know what music festivals cost, but whatever that, that is. So I find it really difficult to be like, oh, we're upset because it's, it, you know, prices are going up. Now, I will say this. I saw somebody put out something that a general admission ticket for the British GP 2023 general admission for the full weekend. Take a I want I I'd l- I want to push this on you for a second. How much do you think it costs? Full weekend British GP general admission. How much? Oh god, I'm going to guess 700. Lower. 200 higher but it's four it's 415 it's it's like 349 british pounds which is a right now is about 415 us dollars mm-hmm. for the full weekend at silverstone now i've been told that it was significantly cheaper it was like 100 euro um 100 british pounds in the past it's gone up this and that okay Again, that's for a full three-day weekend. Actually, I think the British, I, I think it's a four-day. Technically, there's a Thursday because there's no there's no on-track action on Thursday. So I think that includes Thursday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I, again, I don't know what expensive and inexpensive is to other folks. I'm only speaking from my perspective. But if I'm going to one race and I'm going to go enjoy this one event with my let's say my family family of three or four i mean the expectation is okay we're it's going to cost me whatever it's going to cost me but i i personally have never sat there and said wow you know what silverstone or f1 they they really need to lower their you know like prices should be lower for this i mean maybe i've thought it like oh wow you know it's getting kind they're doing what they have to do to s- support the demand, right? Or to keep that supply and demand. The goal is to keep supply and demand somewhat level, right? You don't want so much demand because your prices are so low, right? That that you then cannot satisfy it. And then a lot of people are pissed off. 
but you also don't want so much supply with and the demand is really low because your prices are way too high. They're clearly getting these price these numbers, they're getting what they're asking. They're still selling out so fast. So what do you expect a business to do? And and again, I'm not telling anyone that you're wrong for saying it's too expensive, but understanding a business and how it works, you have to understand that I mean, this is what it is. They're going to control that pricing. The more people are interested, the higher the price is going to go. They have to control it. They don't want so many people saying they can't go. They'll probably they would probably rather take people saying it's unaffordable because that is easier for them to manage. Yeah, PR wise, quite frankly, than people saying there wasn't enough tickets. Well, for example, um, Coachella Music and Arts Festival is one of the biggest festivals in North America for our international audience. A Apparently now a Coachella general admission pass costs close to $600. General admission, okay? Then you have the 2023 Las Vegas Grand Prix, where it was announced that standing room only three-day general admission passes were $500, okay? So for example, when I went to Las Vegas for EDC Las Vegas, I think it was 2018, 2019. EDC, again, one of the largest Mm -hmm. electronic music festivals in the entire world. It cost me, I would say, probably around $2,300. It was three of my friends. We shared an Airbnb, very high-end Airbnb, but still. And flight, I think my, I had a VIP ticket that was like 800 something dollars. So about, I would say $2,300, all things considered. The fact that no one really complained back in 2018, how much that EDC Las Vegas ticket costs, but then what is supposed to be one of the largest sporting events in the world in Las Vegas in November is $500 for standing room ticket. I just... I, I, the justification it's what you value yeah it's the justification that people say oh f again saying f1 is in decline because they haven't addressed ticket prices well edc isn't in decline uh coachella isn't in decline coachella actually had to expand and do two weekends uh because of the demand for coachella so i think people yeah, will and, do narratives to yeah. justify things that they don't like but what math it doesn't add up well, and the other, and here's a, you know, um, I know we're getting kind of close here to our, uh, our sign off point, but I'll say this, the audience, even though the F1 may want to be reaching kind of that younger group, there's always going to be an audience. And this is just from a marketing business perspective. There's always an audience that you can't necessarily satisfy that has a loud enough voice to make some noise. And right now, that's the group that's like, hey, we're really into the sport. We can't afford to go to the race. But you know what? Those folks, and and I truly believe that F1 and other sports and teams understand this, at some point, that group of people will get a little bit older, and they'll be like, oh, I can now afford to go to a race, whatever it might be. Maybe I, I've, you know, I've progressed in my career. I've got you know a, a better job. I'm making more money. And so now it's not as hard to attend a race but right now you have that 
and I don't know the exact demo. Let's just say it's 13 to 18. I think it's probably a little bit older. Maybe it's like 15 or 16 to 20, 21. That it's probably still in uni or in high, in you know secondary or high school, and they're making a lot of content online because that's they want to be an F1 creator. They want to get into F1, which I think is fantastic and so awesome. But they're also the ones that are feeling slighted by prices. But they're also the ones that can't afford, you know, they're still living at home and they're not paying for their own groceries or whatever it might be. And so it's almost like you need to kind of look and say, who's like, who are the people that are complaining? Because maybe they're complaining about, maybe they, you know, they don't have the job right now that they can afford anything that they want to go attend. Maybe it's not just F1. It's another sporting event. And that if I'm F1, like that's how I'm looking at it, right? I'm probably saying, okay, we have there's a group of people we're not going to be able to satisfy. It, it just it is what it is. That's the nature of it. You literally cannot satisfy every single person all the time. So we'll t- we'll 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 take what we have to on this. We'll take the brunt of people complaining about it for now. But once they get older, they won't complain anymore, or they'll complain less, right? And I think that's the 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 mindset there. Well, the thing is when you're older, you complain about different things. And when you're older, you understand that the importance of quality and you understand that I don't need a new iPhone every year, but I do need to have a better quality of life. I do need things that Mm. are going to satisfy different things. And that's that transition to adulthood. And so I think F1 perhaps looks at that and says, this is the, this is the demographic who we need to satisfy. And I don't know. I, I just think that, that pandering is never a good thing because at what point mm-hmm. does the pandering stop? Yeah. Exactly. It, you, absolutely. Yeah. You have to remember F1 is a business and F1 is, they need to make a profit, but at the same time, there's only so much that F1 can control. So when you think about it, tickets to to actual races, they're not much different than tickets to anything else that you would want to go to. It's the hotels, it's the flights, it's the Ubers, it's the food, it's all the other things that you wouldn't necessarily complain about if you were going to a concert. And those are those things that you can't do much about. So stop putting the blame or the onus on Formula One to sort these issues because yeah. they control what they can control and that's it. And they're not going to sit there and say to hotels, hey, we're going to come here, but we need you guys to offer fair market rates every single night for the whole race week. They're not going to do that. They're going to say, sorry, it's business. (laughs) Can you imagine? Can you? So, so let me flip that one on its head. Can you imagine if F1 said to the hotels and restaurants and bars, clubs, whatever, in the area of every race and said, hey, you can't charge over this amount. You can't. Could you imagine what the uproar would be then? F one is trying to, uh, you know, keep small businesses or businesses from from, you know, making money. They they want to make all the money, but we can't. Could you imagine? Yeah, they could say F one is charging ten dollars for a bottle of water, but a small restaurant, small bar can't charge, you know, eight dollars for a beer. I mean, it's so. And 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 the reason I make that comment is because you literally, and I hate to use the word literally like I am right now, but you literally cannot make everybody happy. It will never happen. So you have to take 
the good with the bad. You have to take the folks that will be happy with the ones that will be unhappy. And you just, you try to make the best of it. That's all you can actually do ever as a business. Maybe we should rename the show Ruthless Pragmatism. I like it. I like it. I enjoy it. <laughs> I enjoy it. Ah, uh, well, that was, listen, I, I, I love the content that we have this week. I, I hope that you all did too, that listened in. And if you did love it, go and leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. If you didn't love it, you can directly reach out to one of us at the VF Castro on Twitter or at the Vincenzo Landino, or I'm sorry, at Vincenzo Landino on Twitter. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, enjoy race week. Enjoy the first race of the year, Bahrain. It's going to be happening in just a couple days. Uh, I'm excited for it. Quick prediction before we sign off. Sign off with your quick prediction, V. We're stopping Leclerc Hamilton. I'm going to say, I'm going to go on a limb and say Verstappen signs Alonzo. Ooh, ballsy. I like it. We'll see who. And I love Leclerc, but I'm going to leave you all with that one. We'll see what happens. Enjoy the race. Till next time. Thank you so much for tuning into the VF1 show. If you liked it, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And for previews of next week's show, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the VF Castro and Vincenzo Landino.